0: To For Your Review, I'm your host, Scott Birmingham. For Your Review is an entertainment and what's happening around town podcast. And we're being hosted by Open Mic Studios located here in downtown Reno. Our engineer is Brandon. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to hear more, become a sponsor, place an ad, you can contact Brandon at
1: Open Mic Studios Reno. At gmail.com, that's Reno at gmail.com.
0: And typically, I would go into a really fancy, formal introduction to who my guest is. But since it's somebody I've known since the day I was born, practically, (laughs) I will introduce him (laughs) as my high school buddy and college buddy. He has the Jill Biden problem. Uh he is also a doctor, a PhD. Uh, oh yeah, the fake kind. The uh that's right. <laughs> so I'm not sure if we should call you Dr. Azragato or if no. we should call you just Ted azregato comma PhD.
1: Or just Ted. <laughs> just go with Ted. Ted. That's good. <laughs> okay. I, I
0: like it. I want to make sure that we've covered all the good bases <laughs> in that way. Ted um is a good friend of mine, as I said. And we uh, did some things while we were in college and in high school uh, through uh, a video occupational program that the high school had at that year. Uh, we were both graduates of uh, 1983 Antioch High School in California. Uh, Ted now resides in uh, Walnut Creek, California. And uh, what do you, what is it that you are doing right now in radio, Ted?
1: I, I work for iHeartMedia. You may have heard of them. They have a very, uh, I would say, a popular app that some, lives on many phones at this point. But they also own a lot of radio stations. In fact, they're the biggest radio station owner in the country, I believe, over 600 stations. And they also do a lot of podcasting. Hey, Scott, you do podcasting. You should be on iHeartRadio. I know, right? <laughs> iHeart Scott. That's for sure. <laughs> But I, I actually work in their news and traffic division. They own, you know, companies, other companies, and this is called Total Traffic and Weather Network. And I am a news and traffic reporter in the San Francisco Bay Area. Wow. So you, you hear me on a lot of stations in, uh, in the Bay Area, in San Francisco, and also in the Central Valley. I'm on two stations there, Called one's called the Hawk and one's called Cat Country. That's no small and thing, Ted. Yeah. What's that? I said, that's no small thing. No, yeah. So I, I do that. That's my day job, Monday through Friday. And I've been with the company now for seven years. Wow! Oh man, and I was going he
0: just started this job on Monday.
1: <laughs> yeah, he exactly. doesn't. He has relatively <laughs> little experience in radio as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> what, what Scott didn't tell you is I actually started a radio right out of high school in 1983 at a local station in Concord, California, called KKIS, which no longer exists. It's, the signal still exists. It's different call letters. But um, that's, where I, that's where I got my start in professional radio. So, you got a great not voice. Not as a DJ, man. but just as a board. It, job, and yeah. what year was that, Ted? That you got that 1983. Gig? Was it 83? It was 83. I got my job in August of 83, two months after he graduated. Now, that was a full-time gig or a part-time? It was part-time. I worked there just weekends. And what were you doing there exactly? The title was engineer. What I really did is they had a big automated station that was their FM side, and they ran big reel-to-reel tapes. My job was to sit there and make sure that the tapes never ran out of music. So i changed the tapes, drink coffee, and do my homework, because I was t- attending Diablo Valley College. You were too. right? And um, so that's all I did. I drank coffee, did my homework, and changed tapes. But I had the fancy title of engineer, but now they call them board ops. So I was a board op back then, how but i like engineer. How long did you do that for? <laughs> Uh, Remember, well, for yes, I did it for one year and then I quit to be a mobile DJ because it paid way more money.
0: That's if you, awesome. DJ'd,
1: if you did wedding receptions, high school dances, junior <laughs> high dances, middle school dances, parties, you, you know, it, clear it's, you could clear a lot of money in a weekend.
0: It's interesting, you know, did you, did you ever meet Ron Carter, a friend, another friend of mine from high school? Yes, I yes, okay, yeah. now he was a mobile DJ as well, uh-huh. and it's interesting that a lot of people who maybe even dabbled a little bit into radio, always did a lot of DJ stuff. <laughs> I just find it funny. I find it
1: interesting. Well, because it, it pays way way more. I was making minimum wage at the radio station, yeah. and then suddenly I could clear maybe 400 bucks in a weekend by DJing. And I'm yeah. like, well, why am I killing myself on the weekends for yeah. minimum wage? What was I your DJ name? Money? Oh, I just went by Ted. Oh. Yeah, we, I worked for DJ a company. Said. I worked for a couple of various companies. My brother actually started one. And so I worked for him. And then I worked for another guy who was a was an actual radio DJ for KYA radio in San Francisco. And he had an oldies roadshow, Gary Moore's Oldies Road Show. So we played 50s and 60s songs for a bunch of at that time I guess they were a bunch of 30-something boomers. And um I used to go out to these parties and you know we'd bring hula hoops and to do all these things that I had no, I mean, it wasn't part of when I grew up. So I didn't know a lot of this music. I just knew it just from hearing it. But then suddenly I'm playing it. And I'm trying to get like really into these songs from the fifties. And I'm just like, I'm just not feeling it. You know? I, mean, I grew up in the seventies and eighties and that's kind of my era. So yeah. He, but is, um, our,
0: he is our second person from radio and we're going to be having Dave Preston also works on radio. Yeah. That guy's got a voice. I mean, talk about golden tongue. I enjoy it Oh, that. I don't? Come on.
1: <laughs> I'm sure the ladies used to call you golden tongue.
0: Ted's voice reminds me of the guy uh, when you're doing like yoga and have soft music. And he like, put your right hand over your head. Very low. Yes. Do you want to give us some yoga, Ted? I love Ted.
1: Here on the ocean of life there you there. are
0: <laughs>
1: It is your ocean That's... It is no one else's ocean oh. You are alone And alone with your thoughts, Scott Now we will go into cow pose oh. <laughs> Is that what you wanted? I'm <laughs> there, <That's> man like... <laughs> Did everybody fall asleep out there? Oh, no, I'm it's there, true. no. I, I have what I I have what I call the NPR voice And it's just been like my I guess it's just the way I am. I mean, I, I have a more calm voice, and I could easily be on, like, national public radio. You,
0: you know, know, Lisa will watch me on TV when I do film. We'll watch the recorded version of sure. uh, my film cr- critique, and she's like, Scott, wh- why are you talking like that? And I'm like, what do you mean? I, I Don't I always talk like that? She goes, no, you sound very different on TV <laughs> than you do at home. I'm like, oh. Um,
1: really because you relax at home. You. So uh, when that when that red light goes on and they point at you and you go and they say you know you're on, then you have to kind of come alive. Yeah. You're on, baby. <laughs> it makes your butt crack zip up like a zipper. You, just, you, you can't be like, "Hello, oh, I am with Doritos Your chest or something, you know. And, and
0: just, <laughs> now tell me, with your new gig that you've been into for seven yeah. years now, is it something new anymore? Well, <laughs> the word, the job that you still steadily have, um, yes. is this a contract thing, or are you just do it? No, no, no. I'm a full time employee. I'm a full time employee. So, but do you yeah. do it for like, even like our our talent for the news? They're usually yeah. on a two to three year contract.
1: Oh, right, right. No, 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 no. Um, we are hired under a collective bargaining agreement. So, I mean, I mean, I'm actually in SAG-AFTRA. That's our union. Okay. The Screen Actors Guild, you know, American Federation of Television Radio Artists. So um, we negotiate a uh, a three year contract for our unit, Okay. and everybody comes in. Now, now to your point that some people work in a different contract, like your your news talent will will have an agent or something that will probably negotiate its own side deal or its own contract. The we have that too. People that are have been. Uh, in in radio for a long time, especially in that market, we'll have what they call a personal service contract. So that's, that's up above what the collective bargaining agreement is. Gotcha. How you? I'm not a superstar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I work. I work. I work under the collective bargaining. agreement. That changes. Today, Ted, as soon as everybody hears oh, us, wow, this, the three followers, I think, that listen to us <laughs> yes. are now going to be turning
1: into you. And <laughs> maybe one of them is, you know, the head of a media conglomerate and says, I like that guy's voice. <laughs> I can <laughs> hire him.
0: <laughs> you never know, Ted. You never know. I thought that's how you got into major market like, radio wait. in the first place. What's that?
1: Oh, it's just making a joke. It did not oh. work out. That's okay. You know? I missed it. I missed it. I'm sorry. I, I think even I missed
0: it. I don't know. Now let me go back to when you were working uh, that first radio gig you did. Oh, back in 1983, it, at right? KKIS. Back yeah. then, were there many opportunities, or was it time served that you had opportunities open for you there, or not so much?
1: Oh, you mean to move into to move into on air work
0: or anything you might want to aspire to do there?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say that back then, you, you kind of came in at the that level. If you didn't have a lot, of, if you had zero experience in radio, but you wanted to work in the industry, you kind of worked and you wanted to be in programming, you started off as the board op because it was, they would teach you the, the basic skills, how to change tape, make sure you know, you know, uh, you had to do what they call dubs. You know what dubs are, right. where you take, you know, one piece of recording and you dub it onto something else. Um, you had to learn how to make sure that the, 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 cause it was an automated station. At least one of them was an automated station. You had to learn how to program the, the, the tape decks to basically go from one to the next, to the next element. Um, do logs, take meter readings, all these things. So you learn sort of the, the low-level function stuff of, of radio. And then if the program director likes you, you could say, I would like to be on the air one day. And they may try to help you by doing mock, um, essentially you know, mock on-air uh, training sessions where you just go into a production room, hit you know, record on a tape, cue up some records and try to do a DJ rap and see what it sounds like record it, give it to the program director and they listen to it and they're like, Yeah, you're saying um and ah uh, too much and you're using a lot of crutch phrases and try to tighten it up here. And give you some, you know, advice. And if they have enough time and they like you enough, then eventually they'll maybe put you on the air, but they don't put you on the air in any kind of prime slot. No, you are on the overnight hours and the time you go on the air will probably be like three o'clock in the morning when no one is listening or very few people are listening. Maybe that security guard out there or somebody who's driving around. but So the idea is that you could make mistakes on the air, but it wouldn't cost the station anything in terms of revenue, because usually they didn't play commercials that late at night, because there was very few people listening. And anybody who was a client would say, well, why is my commercial playing at three o'clock in the morning when no one's really listening? So they would let people who were starting out do those sort of on-air shifts on the weekend and the overnight hours when very few people are listening. To make mistakes, you record everything, the program director would listen to it and give you feedback. And slowly, you get better at what you do. And as you get better, you move to different day parts. So maybe you're not on the overnight anymore. Maybe you're on the late evening shift. And then if you get even better, then they say, well, why don't you fill in for somebody on an afternoon slot? And that's kind of how it went with me when I got back into, when I, when I left mobile DJing and got back to the same radio station about a year later, I did that. I, I said, maybe I could be on the air. And of course the program director kind of laughed in a mocking way, jokingly, of course, you know, and then gave me those slots and tried it out. And then I got a little bit better. And finally he said, you know what? You're good. Why don't you, I'm just going to put you on from noon to six on on Saturday and Sunday. I said, really? He goes, yeah, you got it. You're good. And then I had a I had kind of a regular weekend slot. So that's, that's how I got into it. Nowadays, it's a little different. That's what they, you know, they would call that the farm league, right? Where you just go in there and you, you, you get trained and you kind of move up the ranks on a small market station where it's got, you know, a limited audience. And then you would get good. And then maybe you'd get your tape out there and write your letters. And next thing you know, another program director in a medium market station, like a Reno or a Sacramento, would call you and say, hey, I got a gig for you. And then you would do some time in the medium markets. And then if you got really good, Then you try to make the major markets. You get in San Francisco or L.A. or Chicago or something like that and see if you could transition that. That whole model is different now in radio. It doesn't really exist, um, mostly because of radio consolidation and, and the rise of voice tracking. Now, I know you work in television, so they may not have anything like voice tracking, but do they have anything wherein talent from other markets can basically record a news break? You know,
0: they actually have uh at least for news, they do a third party. Uh yep. where it's like it's the eleven o'clock news kind of kind of a thing. They segue mm-hmm. into the show. It's a very, very obviously brief statement they're being made. I mm-hmm. have no idea even what they get paid for doing that. But they right. change that they do change that out occasionally. Uh, and they'll have a different kind of a voice. Like in the mornings, it's mostly a morning of a female voice, and mm-hmm. in the evenings, it's a male voice. Mm-hmm. You know, one time I was looking um, just because I was curious, uh, just to see the kind of uh, various voiceover work that that was out there. And interestingly enough, they were one posting I saw. They were looking for people. That, you know, when you put your earphones on, like if you go like to the zoo or to a gallery and it's like a walk-in talk. You're walking and you're listening to this person explain to you like, this is your an alley two, photo three. This is what it is. And I have someone talking about it rather than having a pamphlet in your hand per se. When I went to New York at the Statue of Liberty, you could buy these headphones uh, or rent them like for five bucks and depending on what portal you were at in the area, you clicked on it, and there would be this voice that came on the headphones explain to you what you were seeing and, you know, what part of the statue you were at. And I just mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. You never think that there's actually someone getting paid to record that.
1: Right, right. And that, that can be lucrative. If you get a gig like that, that, that could pay pretty well. You don't – it's a flat rate usually, but they'll pay decent – and I, I should explain a little bit what voice tracking is. Voice tracking is when you pre-record your radio breaks. So if I'm coming out of a song and saying, "Hey, that's Billy Joel on blah 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 blah," it's 1:26 in the afternoon, and da, da da da, my name is Ted, and da da, da da and hey, let's do more Billy Joel because I've got a you know listener out there who absolutely loves Billy Joel. Scott, Scott from Reno, this one goes out to you. <laughs> Something like that, right? So. <laughs> But you can pre-record those breaks, as they call them, right, and insert them into a program log. And so the DJ doesn't even need to be there. And in the fact, the DJ doesn't even need to be in the same market. You could have somebody in New York or in, you know, Pocatello, Idaho, right. voice tracking for other stations. Right. And um, they would they would be given like, okay, here's your market. You're you're doing a, you know, Reno, Nevada. Oh, but I'm in, but I'm in Sioux City, Iowa. Doesn't matter. Here's some of the streets you need to know. Here's some of the landmarks. You know, talk about these things, and this is what the weather's going to be like, you know. And you just pull all your information, and you know, you do your thing. But that's what's different about radio now is that they're pulling talent from various parts of the country to use in local settings. And so, a lot of people who would come into this, you know, to the industry like I did back in 1983, that's a, that's not common anymore because there's so few owner operated radio stations are owned by larger corporations like iHeartMedia and Intercom and you know and CBS and things like that and so because well CBS actually got out of the radio business it's Intercom now Um, but because of of that consolidation people like me if, if if you know you could get my analog if you will or sort of my counterpart now graduating in 2021 and deciding they want to work in radio, they they can't really go down to a local radio station. There aren't that many of them that will allow somebody to come in on the ground level and kind of work their way up. So that farm league doesn't really exist as much as it used to. And not to say that it doesn't exist. It's just not as robust as it used to be back in 1983.
0: Which is interesting. So when you got into radio uh, or I think it happened more when you went back into radio mm-hmm. And you were doing the slots where you were talking more. I remember visiting you uh, mm-hmm. when you were at the Willows and the station was there. And I actually was surprised how your job was composed of doing a lot more than just talking on a mic.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it's true. You're you're pulling music. You were pulling commercials. You were making sure that the log was um, updated because... Part of what you're doing is you're creating, when you play the commercials or you play the music, you're telling a program director, because you sign every piece of paper, every log, you're telling them that all these elements played. So if a client says, I didn't hear my commercial, and then they'll go back and they'll look at the log and they say, well, the DJ said it played at, you know, 2.20 in the afternoon. What time are you listening? 2.30. Well, that's why you didn't hear it. You know, or something like that. Right. Um, so there's a lot to do behind the scenes before you go before you go on the air. And um, I know where this podcast is mostly Reno centered, but you and I grew up in the Bay Area, and we right. worked with a big radio personality named Dr. Don Rose oh, yeah. on KFRC 6:10 a.m. Right? He was one of the biggest radio DJs in the country. And he ended up owning the radio, or at least co-owner of the radio station that I work at, KKIS, at one point. So I got to know him pretty well, um, as much as I could. But he told me that, you know, because I asked him, I said, hey, hey, Dr. Don, how much prep do you put into every show? He said, well, I'm on the air for four hours, so I prep for four hours. I said, you go home and prep your show for four hours? He goes, yep. He says, because when I walk into that studio and I sit down, I know exactly what I'm going to say every single break and I've rehearsed it. And I said, so that's what it takes. He goes, that's what show prep's about. You've got to come in there and know exactly what you're going to say. If you don't know what you're going to say, then don't go on the air and say it because you're going to make a fool of yourself. So well, you know, what did I do? I didn't prep. I went on the air and made a fool of myself a lot.
0: Well, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people think of radio kind of like the way the movie, you know, uh, Good Morning Vietnam portrays it. Where, right, you know, right. he comes on there with a sling of albums that he wants to play and he <laughs> yes, kind right. of improvisational throughout his whole time uh, that he's on the air, which could have been an hour or two hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it takes a lot of energy to do any kind of time like that on the radio. Uh, it's, it's an exhausting process. You know, it's exhausting trying to do podcasts sometimes because of the research, the questions you want to ask. Are you going to have a yes or no guest, you know? Uh, are they storytellers? Are they not? Are they interesting or not? That's why I hand pick my people. <laughs> That's the contract I have. I hand pick.
1: <laughs> well, and you Arthur are, Fleck, or joker. Maker. <laughs> but, you know, a
0: lot of people have that that idea that that's what it is, that's all they're presented with, and that's the way that they think about it, you know? Uh, so it's interesting to, to note that there are other things that you do, uh, songs that you have to play, commercials that need playing at certain times. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very structured. It's not so loosey-goosey.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, you make a good point, and because you, you're, your podcast is largely about film at times, I think we could probably look at the way in which radio has been depicted in films. And I could say that there have been very few films that depict what it's like to really work at a radio station in the movies. I mean, you could take, you could take every, and even television, like there was that, you know, that popular series back in the seventies and part of the eighties WKRP, which was supposed to be about this, you know, Cincinnati radio station and all the wacky characters that were there great show and I, you know, we're always looking at it just like it, it was a wonderful show and everybody liked it but it wasn't how radio stations worked i mean dr johnny fever wouldn't just go on the mic without prepping neither would venus flytrap although when i watched it and the character of venus flytrap he would often say that he had to prep for his show and it sounded like he really did but you know the others didn't it was just sort of like and there's that and then there's There was that movie Talk Radio with Eric Bogosian. That one was a little bit more, it was so stylized that it didn't make it seem like he prepped for his shows. It seemed like he was off the cuff, right? Good Morning Vietnam was another one where it was Robin Williams being Robin Williams behind the mic, you know, improv And you can go back even into into the 70s with the Clint Eastwood movie, Play Misty for me where he plays this jazz DJ who's stalked by this crazy, uh, crazy woman who's, who's like obsessed with him. and right. It turns out to be this thriller in the end. Right. But even with, with play Misty for me and either, all the ones that I, that I, that I highlighted, they really don't get to sort of mundane things like the things that you observe me doing to before anyone on the mic. And I know? think
0: a lot of that has to do with, they say, even the most interesting job, has a lot of boring moments to it, you know? Yeah. So to try to well capture played. it uh, is like a snoozer, you know? We could take snips of it and make it more interesting, uh, but then we need a backstory to draw the attention of the people, you know? Uh, oh, that, mm-hmm. Ted, you know, it's either going to be a goofy movie, where you screw it up and it's going to be anything like you usually do. Or it's going to be very, I mean, I think it's hard to capture those kinds of things and really get the, like my dad once told me about Barney Miller. He goes, that's probably about as true as cop life is. There's just not a whole lot happening. Mm-hmm. But you know, you have to still build a story. You have to still have interest. That's why sometimes it always doesn't translate on the screen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, nobody wants to see people want to be entertained. They don't want to watch a documentary, right? Right, so in the films, that's why that's why you have a film like Real Talk with with Dolly Parton, and she's you know sort of this you know folksy you go. get behind the mic. Do you remember that movie? I do. Real Talk. I yeah. do. I do. And what an but example! You know, she, I mean, there's there's a case where she just sort of lucks into it because boy, she's folksy. Gosh, I just got all this wisdom, you know? And I'm just going to give it to you, and I can't do my Dolly Parton like this. That's not very good, is it? <laughs>
0: The last week, the party. how exciting <laughs> is doing traffic
1: uh traffic can be its own let's put it this way if you want to do breaking news as a reporter like if you know they, they always we work in news so yes. you know they always send the weather guy out into the worst weather no you no we send, <laughs> a,
0: we send a reporter out there in the oh, big really time excited. they do okay. said one yes oh wait
1: wait that's true it's always the reporter who's like oh boy you you just drew the short straw you right just got in the blizzard. there you go <laughs> you drew the short <laughs> straw <Okay. laughs> see you in an hour but, when but you're anyway, up on the balcony okay so if if there's breaking news if there's something that is big whether it's a you know a blizzard that's hitting Reno or there's some kind of standoff with the cops, like somebody's got a gun or something like that. And they put a reporter out there and they want details fast, right? Tell us what's going on, Scott. And you gotta be quick on your feet and know how to get all that information together and communicate it in a very short way. Traffic reporting is breaking news anytime you go on the mic because these crashes happen. And sometimes there are details that you have to get at that's not only interesting for the listener, but then they can understand why am I stuck for an hour in this bad traffic jam? Why haven't they cleared this crash? You know, so then the more details I can give about that particular incident, the better. And so it it has its own hierarchy within the radio, you know, in the radio industry. Some people who are traffic reporters just think that they're just sort of the lowly level, you know, like, oh, I'm just, can we swear on this podcast? Sure. People
0: have. Okay. And we do bill them. Go ahead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a term they say, oh, I'm just traffic bitch. That's what I am. I'm traffic bitch, right? I don't do anything. But the reality is if you listen to traffic, if you're, if you, you're in your car and you a traffic report come on, the majority of the time people are gonna turn it up because it's information that is important to them. It may not be the sexiest thing like, hey, I'm Ryan Seacrest and I've got the latest from blah, 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 right? You know, I'm like, so. okay, great. But if suddenly somebody's telling me about a crash on the interstate outside of Reno and I'm roughly in that traffic jam, I want to know what's going on. So it's an important job, but it's not the sexiest job, but you can can make it its own important element. Let's put it that way.
0: Okay, I'm going to explain a few terms to the audience. Hits are when you're actually on air. So when Ted, in a given hour, Ted, how many hits do you do?
1: Oh, well, because I do many stations. So let's see. Let's take a, a drive time. Let's take between four and six. I will see. That's called. I will do between six and eight traffic hits an hour.
0: Between six and eight hits. These are times that you're yeah. live now.
1: Um, no, I, well, okay. Here's getting back to one of the things about radios they're using technology. Pre-recorded technology, and so essentially my, my reports are recorded, but they're sent close to airtime.
0: Okay. Does that make sense? So okay. I'm sure the so. broadcasting company would love to make sure that everybody knows when they hear you, you're not live.
1: <laughs> but- there, there are sometimes I am live, but then most of the time, no. We've, we've gone, the, the industry's gone mostly to pre-recorded traffic. On radio,
0: so you don't have to listen to the active station and when it's running, they'll just put it in the slot they need to. Is that how it works?
1: No, they, they, it's it's got its own dedicated time. So I I will use my my smart speaker whether it's you know the Amazon one or the Apple one, and I'll listen to the stations. Okay, so sure you know when running. your
0: yeah. time is coming up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how much time do they expect out of you? A minute. One minute.
1: One minute per report. And that includes a spot. So a spot is a commercial. So at the end, I'll say, in Traffic Roots brought to you by Scott Birmingham. Scott Birmingham, his podcast is the
0: best.
1: Don't believe <laughs> me? Listen and you'll see.
0: So you do your one minute, <laughs> and then how long would it could be to your next hit? Sometimes right away.
1: Really? This- I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll finish. I will send the file, and then I'll have to do one right away. Oh, really? Okay. Right after that, yeah. Yeah.
0: So they don't give you a whole so, lot of prep time between your hits. No.
1: And that's that's the thing about being a traffic reporter is you have to move fast and be able to absorb all that data that you're seeing on the screen. And um, We have producers that produce incidents for us, so we have a special screen that we we look at. But oftentimes I'll look at, and you of course you're in Nevada, so you, you don't have the California Highway Patrol, but I'll look at the California Highway Patrol's website, which lists active accidents and stalls and any road hazards. And so if our producers haven't gotten to something because, you know, something just happened, like I'll look for the latest information and let's say a crash just popped up like, and it's a big one. Like, let's say it's a you know, multi-car pileup, three, four lanes are blocked. The backup is, you know, going, it's, it's, nothing's moving. So I'll see that very quickly and then I'll, I'll look at the details as quickly as possible and I'll lead with that. I'll go on, on with my next report with that specific incident.
0: So do you have to write for it or do you just go off the cuff? I mean, it's one solid minute you're covering. So when you're relaying the information, mm-hmm. are you reading off of anything? Or are you just looking at the map and translating yeah, so we, it?
1: Our our company has um, its own traffic screen. So we have our producers in the Bay Area who produce that traffic screen, which is almost like a script, but it it serves two functions. So remember I told you that iHeart has a lot of different companies. So Total Traffic is one of the companies, but one of the products that they sell are what they call navigation systems to uh, car manufacturers. So if you have a nav system that you subscribe to, chances are you're subscribing to the data that we produce. So anything that, you know, like, it it can be, it's not like Google Maps. It's it's a it's one that comes with say an Audi or a Toyota that you subscribe to. And it'll talk to you, it'll tell you, it'll say accident, blah, 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 right lane block, the backup is here, alternate routes are da, 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 da. That kind of information comes from us. So we do two things. We give data customers data for their navigation systems, and we give radio customers um reports that they can hear on the air.
0: Let's segue into your podcast. How exactly did that happen?
1: I wanted to do a podcast for a while, and i I wanted I wanted to do something that that encompassed my non radio passions, which are music. You and I are both music fans. But I'm also a big reader. I like reading a lot of different kinds of books, whether it's novels or nonfiction. Um, I love rock biographies. I'm a big you know big fan of that genre. H- hard rock, um not necessarily heavy metal, but hard rock alternative rock. That's kind of my thing. But I like reading about these bands too. So I thought I would start a podcast specifically about those two things, books and records. so they could um,
0: they could put our podcasts side by side. Movies and then right into music and books. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You right. covered the arts right yeah. there.
1: We're right. Well, <laughs> so we would combine our <laughs> listenership to seven. They're right. <laughs> we could double it. We could double our listeners from three to six. Three to six? Think about that. That's huge. That's very exciting. That's
0: very exciting.
1: I was crediting that you might have four. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He was giving us the full benefit of the doubt you know, was pumping the numbers up there so
1: that's so that's how I started my podcast. i just I just was thinking about it for a while, and I actually pitched it. I write for this uh music pop cultural site called Pop Dose, and I pitched it to <clears throat> a couple of the editors there. I said, what do you think about doing a podcast about these sort of things? So it was a different podcast then It was more about trying to rope in um you know artists like singers or guitarists or whoever works at a band and and interview them and talk about the records. Well, that kind of, that fell apart. Nothing ever happened. I was like, Hmm, well, let's see what, you know, I've got, I I know how to run a multi-track recorder. I can interview people. I've done this for years. Why don't I just do what I would call a demo and see what it sounds like. So I did one and I just put it on my blog and then just, didn't tell anybody about it. Just told some, you know, a few people and the people that happened on my blog. And I asked for some feedback from just some friends and they all thought it was good. They said, yeah, it was pretty good. I thought it was really interesting. You did a good job. And so um, I'm, I just started up. I mean, I don't have that many episodes. I'm going to be on episode six on Monday. So that's I'm putting them out once a week. And they're about, you know, 40 to 45 minutes. And in it, I talk about a, a book. I talk about music and then I usually have uh, a co-host on in the last segment. It's always three segments or mostly three segments. And then the last one, I usually have a guy that I've been friends with for a long time. He also worked at the same radio company I did for a lot of years. He's still there. I'm I'm not. Uh, His name is John Young. And we riff, we talk mostly about rock music. Um, We had a topic on how KISS was such a big influence on, On us as kids growing up, because we're we're exactly the same age. In fact, you and I are the same age, so you, me, and John are the same age. We had we had another discussion on how um, changes in rock music in the eighties with the rise of sort of hair metal bands like you know like Motley Crue or Warrant or you know Rat that kind of pushed us away from that genre towards alternative rock. He came back to it, but I kind of stayed in the alternative (laughs) rock realm. And then the, the topic we're going to talk about on this upcoming episode, episode six, is we're going to tackle the question, is rock dead? Because two years ago, Dennis D. Young, the lead singer, of, well, he was lead singer of Styx. He did an interview with a, with a magazine called, or a website called Classic Rock Revisited, where he basically made the pronouncement. He says, this whole thing, this industry of rock music, its when old farts like me die, that's it. It's over. It's pretty much over. So we're going to kind of chew over what Dennis D. Young's talked about, and, and because so it's, that's it's what fun. happens
0: yeah. when you are out of a band. Yeah, every lead singer or yeah. quote unquote lead singer who is no longer part of a band. I mean, what else they going to say? Rock is dead. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm yes, no longer I part of dead. Sticks, so no matter what Sticks put out, I'm not on their band. So you know what? Rock is basically dead
1: <laughs> it's all dead because i am <laughs> exactly
0: that's what they're saying i'm not with them so they're dead you know. And if what? we're real about
1: it rock died with freddie mercury let's let's be honest
0: or elvis i mean oh, i don't yeah. know how you want to put all that stuff to you. i just think it's so wait so rock
1: died in 1977 with elvis we're still talking about it we're still talking yeah. about it yes out. <laughs> so we're going to kind of chew that over but there have been some changes in the landscape that point at least two years ago pointed to the fact that rock music may have been on the ropes because hip hop is popular, right? Country music is popular. Uh, Pop music without actual instruments is popular. And so when we're talking about rock music, we're talking about people who play guitars, who play the drums, who play the bass, and maybe even add a little bit of keyboard. That kind of music and that kind of skill set like who are the rock gods now? Eddie Van Halen's dead, right? Eric Clapton may be dead. He's you know he's, he's he's on the ropes, but he's not recording anymore. He's retired. So who pays big money to go uh, to these to these stadium acts to see someone shred on stage? There's it's not a big market anymore. It's mostly classic acts. It's people who have been around for you know twenty plus years, if not you know if not more so. And they're they're like legacy acts at this point. Yeah, you could really say Dave Grohl is almost like the last of them. Yeah, absolutely. Foo Fighters are a great example of that. Um, You know, Grohl has had an unusually, well, actually a very successful career in two bands. And he's come out from behind the drums to actually be a really great songwriter, a pretty good guitarist, but also just sort of like now, well, we got Dave Grohl. Is that enough? (laughs) You know?
0: That's pretty funny, <laughs> but true. I know the truth hurts sometimes.
1: Right. So that's kind of what we're going to be chewing over.
0: Well, that's, uh, I think that's cool. And I think yeah. you and I should do these a little bit more often because with your name on the marquee with mine, it <laughs> gets just fly off the shelves. Dude, we'll, we'll
1: get, we'll, we'll break that 10, 10 person Right, We're going to get there. <laughs> We will. I want your... I mean, you know what? <laughs> What's that? I mean, you know what? Two liter bottles of Sprite on me, pal. Oh, okay. man. Shoot the works.
0: That's what we're going to do. <laughs> you know, it made me think of, I remember when I was a kid, seeing the first commercials for when they went to the two liter bottles, and that was a big right. thing, and I was thinking... Well, what were they before? Were they never in a bottle? Was it always in a glass bottle? I mean, I, I don't remember, but I just remember it was a big deal when the t- also yeah, I, also like Saturday Night Live when Saturday Night Fever went to PG. It's like what? How do you go from R to PG? I mean, just kind of interesting. <laughs> I want your quick thoughts I on would say. What's that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, w- you go ahead. Sorry. I want your quick thoughts on some, I'll call it some memorabilia items here. Go, go, oh, is this a lightning round? We're going to tax it. We're going to tax your memory a little bit. But okay, I'm this say, is a lightning round. Uh, kind of, sort of. Uh, okay. But I'm going to throw right. something at you and I want you to tell me what you remember about it. Stiggy and shore.
1: 16 millimeter film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Brandle's never heard of what he was like he's thinking well, what is <laughs> this, is, this is really hey
1: this is really insider baseball i'll go in a little bit uh deeper that this was the first film actual film like 16 millimeter it's film cellulite. I and, okay. and it was starring none other than scott birmingham as hey. the Yeah. So I was, it was at Diablo Valley college. We had to make a three minute edited in the camera film. Was that it? It had to tell tell a story beginning, middle and end. And I thought, okay, I got this piece of music from dire straits, uh, that was called private investigations. I just used the instrumental parts. And I thought, Hmm, this is pretty moody music. What if I did a, a movie about a guy dying, but as he's dying, he's hallucinating, uh, about trying to get away from death, but he doesn't make it. He ends up in the grave. And I said, Hey Scott, you want to play a guy that's dying? You know, like <laughs> you gotta be like a 40 year old man has a heart attack. And then you are gonna be running through the hallways in a hospital. My father was a physician, so he was able to get me. Um, we shot uh, it in a hospital. We shot it at Kaiser hospital in Walnut Creek. Yeah. So he was able to get me in there and, um, and uh, just, you don't happen to have any, have any it, it copies looked, of that you know still, what, do you? Evol- what, What's that? Do you have any copies of that still? I have the one that you made me. I have the dub of it, and I still have the actual original film of it still. But anyway, but I, I we shot it. You did a great job in it. You did everything I asked you to do. You, you know, running down the hallway in a robe, sweating. And I thought, there's just there's not enough sweat on you. So I was like dumping water on you to try to get you to look more, you know, more perspiration on the face.
0: Because I wanted I you to look sweat. really scared. So funny. I, mean, I don't remember a lot in here. I actually don't remember and, a lot, but I remember seeing the final film.
1: And the final film, now, I got to say that, you know, when I finished cutting it, I thought it looked really good. I thought, well, you know, this. For guys 18 years old, this is pretty good for, you know, 16 millimeter and first time trying to do something like this. So I show it at the film forum because it's part of our finals, right? And all of a sudden the lights go on and everyone's sort of like clapping. And the film teacher, Gerard Hurley, turns to me and he goes, Did you edit that in the camera? And I said, I I shot it in sequence. There's one edit that I had to make. Yeah, but did you edit it in the camera? I mean, I wanted to make sure that that was all edited in the camera. I said, like I said, everything was shot in sequence. All the edits except for one were in the camera. Well, to sure told a story, you know. <laughs> you know? And he oh, said, my. He said uh, it looked good. And then about about a week later, a week later, I'm standing outside the forum waiting to go into class. And then there was this guy who came to that screening. He was like one of the... It's like doing adult ed or something. He was just one of the people that lived in Pleasant Hill at the time, liked to come to the film for him. And he was like talking about this film. He goes, oh, there's a film that some kids shot. It was really looked great. It was like shot in the hospital and it was like death. And so it was about this guy outrunning death and it was real. I said, that was mine. And he's all like, that was yours? And I yeah. And says, oh, well, good job. Maybe you should be a cinematographer. And I said, Well, I thought it looked good too. So it looked great, Scott. The film (laughs) really did look good. I've... As far as how, as far as how, what, you know, it's it looked like a student film. Let's put it that way. I mean, it looked like something an 18 year old would come up with. 18 year olds are going to go two ways. They're either going to be really trying to be funny or they're going to go super dark, you know, and say, I've got the black eyeliner on. I've dyed my hair black. I'm sitting in a closet wondering, will my life be any, any better ever?
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I wear black clothes. <laughs> the last short film that I did, that I'm still trying to, I want to, probably end up doing like a youtube screening of it mm-hmm. i think we should do it with an opening of uh, playing sticky and shore before <laughs> and we can record a facetime where i introduce we're on yeah. it together and yeah. i introduce uh you introduce sticky and shore and then i would introduce the other film so that is like wait wait so from are you showing lands. your first film what's
1: that wait are you going to be showing your are you going to be showing your first uh, film
0: I did that when we all get, did the reunion. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, come on. I would, wait, just, wait a
1: minute. I've got to show you mine, but you won't show me yours? <laughs> it's, you know, I'll make you a deal. I, fine,
0: fine, <laughs> fine, fine, fine. I would show that one, and you show to and Shore, and just so people can walk out on mine. I get it. It's a setup. I get it. That's how you do it. I show you mine. Okay, fine, whatever. We're going to move on. How come you didn't like Stamp Camp? Uh, what's that? I'm asking you why you didn't like Stamp Camp. Wow, you really put me on the spot here. That's not that's not fair. You can do that. You can tell me why you didn't like it. Was it just uh, a totally different okay. idea All than right. what you so, and Paul
1: had? So I'll go with this. Okay. Right. Um, and I'm going to be screwing up a Shakespeare quote, but essentially, the, you know, the essence of comedy is brevity, or brevity is the essence of wit, whatever they call that, right? So you got to keep it short <laughs> because you want to make sure that the punchline comes and people go, ah, "That was pretty good, right?" I felt like stamp Camp went on too long. I felt like the joke got stretched out a little too much. It should have been compressed, and it was. It was a funny setup, and it could have been a lot punchier if you just Shortened
0: enough. So more like an SNL skit.
1: Yes. No more than a three minute thing.
0: That's how I feel about most 90 minute comedies. So I totally get it. (laughs) I'm serious. It's like, okay, we talk about stretching it out. So I totally get it. And I'm not offended. I totally, actually, I totally agree with you. I think it would work better as a three or four minute piece. And no longer really,
1: uh, Are there any 90 minute comedies left? It seems like everything's two hours plus.
0: I know. I know. Too much yeah. money, you know, uh, yeah. and I have issues about all that stuff. Uh, I know we're cornering on the time here, but I want you to talk a little bit about your time doing Farmer's Market. Uh, do you oh, think fresh you, from the Farmer's Market. Do you remember? Tell me a little bit about that. And also, do you think there's a possibility it ever might come back?
1: Okay, so it was actually called Fresh from the Farmers Market. Okay. And it aired on it aired in San Francisco on, on TV20. K-O-F-Y, TV20. And um, it was done back in 2012, 2013. That was when um and I got hired on with this startup company called T Radio V. Now it just if you looked at it, how it was spelled, no one could say it right. They would go like, <laughs> you <know>, Tradio? <it's> like, <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, they couldn't quite figure it out. They're like T-re-de-v-v-v. I said, no, it's it's T radio V. Okay.
0: You have to relax the eyes a little bit. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah <I> radio <laughs> Yeah, no one could figure it out. But anyway, so they, they had about four shows that they were 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 um, producing and I was hired on first as an editor. Because they had had that fresh from the farmers market uh, show on, but they didn't like the host, and they felt like it needed to be punched up a bit, like there's just to be more wow factor, if you will. So I edited one of the one of the episodes, and the guy who is the the uh, CEO of the company loved my edits. He says, "Oh my god, this is great!" He says, "Do you know how to direct?" I said, "Well, I mean, sure. I mean, you're yeah. never gonna say no, right?" Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> So he says, Would you be interested in directing if we reboot this thing? Would you be interested in being like the writer director of this thing? And maybe you could edit it too. Oh, and maybe you could produce it. So suddenly I'm there, I'm wearing all these hats. Oh and I'm all like, and at the time, that was I had lost my job in radio. I got, it was, it was right to, you know, uh it was 20, 2012, and we went into a bit of a mini recession. Our radio station. Did he
0: hang up? No, my phone just died. <laughs> well, I guess we weren't charging, <laughs> or it was charging. I thought it was. It was using. <laughs> oh, well, my phone's dead.
1: <laughs> I did not even know what to do Hold on, I got a plan. <laughs>